You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, episode number 12. Hey guys, happy Monday. We are doing a birth story today. And this birth story is with my friend Kara, and she is actually currently pregnant with baby number three, but we are going to talk about her first birth, which was a preterm delivery, and then her second birth as well, which was a term delivery. With her first baby, her water actually broke prematurely at 30 weeks and six days while she was cooking dinner. After she got to the hospital, you know, they did all the testing to make sure that her water had broken and it had indeed broken. So she was there to stay. They gave her a few different medications when she got there, one to help mature her baby's lungs because her baby was still premature and the other to help stop the contractions that she was having. She stayed there for two days and then they stopped the medication that was trying to stop her contractions and her baby was born very shortly after. He was only three pounds, eight ounces when he was born and he spent 28 days in the NICU. No health complications during his stay and now he is super healthy and four years old and now he is a super healthy four-year-old. With her second baby, she dealt with a lot of PTSD and anxiety, you know, over the possibility of having another preterm baby, which totally makes sense. So what they actually did during this pregnancy, because she had that history, was she had cervical length measurements every two weeks at her office and weekly progesterone shots from weeks 16 to 36. And her daughter was then born at 39 weeks and... Labor was super, super quick, one hour from start to finish. Her water broke at home, and then she got to the hospital and basically delivered her baby. And now that she's pregnant with her third baby, she is actually receiving co-care. It's called co-care through her OB office for the progesterone shots again and the cervical lengths. And she's actually planning a home birth, which is super cool. So lots of good stuff. Kara had a lot to say about both of these births. So let's get started. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where we firmly believe in the power of education when it comes to giving birth. Tune in each week as we dive into pregnancy-related topics, expert interviews, and a variety of birth stories. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now, here's your host, educator, registered nurse, and fellow mom, Liesl Teen. This episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast was sponsored by yours truly. Did you guys know that I have a newborn sleep course out? Well, if you didn't, I do. I came out with a newborn sleep course a few months ago with my friend Andrea, and she's on Instagram as well. She's at babysleep.answers on there. She is a certified sleep consultant, so you know what she knows what she's talking about. And we decided to do this course for a few reasons. I'll tell you personally kind of why I, you know, was interested in doing a course like this. Personally, when I delivered, when I had Walter, the newborn period just completely hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was scrambling, trying to learn everything I could about how to get him to sleep. I read a lot of books. I talked to a lot of people. I posted in Facebook groups. I did a lot of trial and error. 
I let him cry a lot (laughs) and I was just seemingly unsuccessful in wrapping my head around this whole newborn sleep phase. It really sucked and I just wish someone had just told me how to prepare, what exactly to do, give me some insight, you know, tell me why babies do what they do and kind of what I can do about it. I would have had so much less anxiety and probably slept a heck of a lot better, even though sometimes it was only three hours at a time. I think most moms, most parents honestly struggle the most with feeling a loss of control because all of a sudden you have this baby and your whole routine, your whole life, everything revolves around this sweet little baby and everything gets rocked and you just feel, a lot of people just feel a total loss of control. And what we decided what we wanted to do is we really wanted to help you prepare for that rock for that shift in events. So even though it may still happen, you know, your world is going to get rocked. You're about to have a baby and that's big. (laughs) You'll feel more confident, educated, and prepared for what's to come. And most importantly, you'll have less anxiety and you'll have more control. So basically, I partnered up with Andrea because I can't teach you guys this. I am not a certified sleep consultant. I am a labor and delivery nurse, but she can. And she did a fabulous job creating all of these videos and all of this content. And I was so happy to partner with her on this because I think this is something that honestly every single new mom struggles with and something that we can so easily you know, teach you guys. So this course, if you've taken my birth courses, or if you haven't taken my birth courses, this course is all online with videos and texts, and it's completely self-paced. You can get to it whenever you want to get to it, and you have access to it forever. So you can use it for, you know, as many different babies that you have. There's also a free Facebook group for you guys too, so you get a little sense of community. You can ask questions, get to know other members, ask questions of us, and you know, just really bond with other people, other moms who are going through the same sleepless nights that you are. So with all that said, super excited about this course. I think it's going to help you guys feel so much more in control of what's about to happen. If you haven't checked it out, I think it's going to help you guys feel so much more in control of what's about to happen and give you a really great grasp on how to tackle that newborn period like a boss. So how to access, go to mommylabornurse.teachable.com, click on all courses. It might not be under the featured courses, but if you click on all courses, the course is called Baby, We're Home, Now Let's Sleep. And if you're listening to this podcast, you automatically get 20% off with the code PODCASTLISTENER. Hope to see you guys in there. Hi, Kara. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. Can you just start by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, where you're from, all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Kara Coffin and I'm a perinatal fitness specialist and a post-pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. I'm also the mom of two little kids. We live in central Massachusetts with my husband, my two kids, and my two crazy dogs. Cool. (laughs) So my son Quinn is almost four. My daughter Evie is almost two and I'm 19 weeks pregnant with 
baby. Oh, uh, yay. Hooray. Congratulations. Uh, awesome. You. So you have a full house and you're about to even get fuller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just living that chaotic, crazy, wonderful life. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, today, guys, we are doing a birth story, stories, plural, and we're going to be talking about your birth stories. And yeah, if you want to just go ahead and I guess we can go way back and talk about your first pregnancy and if you had any issues with getting pregnant or how that process was. Let's go way back in time (laughs) and I'll just go ahead and let you go. Sure. Yeah. So we were trying to get pregnant with Quinn. I wouldn't say it was difficult. It took us maybe like three months to get pregnant, which is, you know, in that range of normal. Yep. So I got pregnant with Quinn shortly after we started trying and my pregnancy with him was super easy, really comfortable, no complications or anything like that until the end. (laughs) Yeah. So at about 30 weeks and six days, I was cooking dinner at my mom's house. We were staying with her while our house was being renovated Mm -hmm. and my water broke and quite the surprise. So at 36 um, weeks. Yeah. 30 weeks, 30 weeks. Oh, 30 weeks. Oh, I thought you said 30, 36 weeks. Oh, 30 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So at first, you know, first time mom, I thought, well, maybe I just like feed myself because Mm -hmm. that's a thing that everyone has happens to people. So I went to the bathroom, like cleaned myself up, changed my pants or whatever, and then went and stood in my mom's doorway and was like, this weird thing just happened. Like, I don't really know. Maybe I peed myself. Maybe it's something else. And it happened again, like a gush of fluid. She was like, you know, we should really just call. So I called my midwives. We went into the hospital where they practiced. They tested the fluid and confirmed that it was amniotic fluid. Mm. Yep. So then at that point... I was transferred. I got a fun little ambulance ride Mm -hmm. to um, a different hospital with a level four NICU. They told me all the scary things and gave me ultrasounds and all that sort of stuff. And baby was doing fine. I was doing fine. Mm -hmm. I was having some contractions and was a little bit dilated, but I wasn't feeling any of the contractions yet. Okay. So you weren't like hurting or anything? Nope. Nope. I didn't feel them at all. Yeah. So at that point, they put me on a medication to stop my contractions, some Mm -hmm. antibiotics, And then they gave me the steroid injections for Quinn's lung development. Mm -hmm. So I was on those for a few days. And, you know, the time in the hospital, I think I was there three days before he was born. It was really just kind of like a blur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Lots of doctors coming in and out and checking you. And, you know, they told me either he would be born as soon as they took me off this medication to stop my contractions or my body could just decide, okay, I'm going to wait a little bit longer and he would be born in two weeks where the risk of the infection outweighed the benefits of having him inside my body still. Right. Right. Yeah. So in my head, you know, I'm an athlete. I've always been pretty competitive my whole life. I thought, well, two weeks. All right, that's fine. That's what we're going to do. He's going to be two weeks. He's going to be born. So unfortunately, (laughs) As soon as they took me off that medication to stop my contractions, which I don't remember the exact name of it, but it was some sort of blood pressure medication that the side effect was that it it stopped contractions. Was it magnesium? Like were you on IV? Was it an IV that you were on? No, it was a pill. Or was it pills? Yeah. Okay. I don't remember the name. I just know that it stopped the contractions and that's what it was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was Indocin? That sounds right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So... As soon as I was off that and he was steroid complete, I started getting these stomach cramps. 
Mm. And so I turned over to my husband and I said, Oh, my stomach just like really doesn't feel very good. And he's mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, mine either. And we, <laughs> we had ordered takeout from a fish place the night before. And I was like, how could I be so dumb to like order fish takeout? Like this is uh-huh. stupid. And it was from like a really good restaurant. So that was like kind of silly that I was thinking that, but yeah. And he didn't help at all, but he was like, oh yeah, I'm not really feeling too great either. Mm-hmm. So I had it in my head. Okay. Well, I must have food poisoning. Mm-hmm. So the nurse came in, I'm, you know, pacing around the room, getting a little uncomfortable. And she's like, what's the matter? I'm like, oh, I think I have some like GI stuff going on. I think I'm not feeling so great. And I was in like such denial about what was actually going That's on. That's what it I, sounds like. I know. I, <laughs> I convinced everyone that I had food poisoning. Yeah. The doctor, the nurses that came in, everyone, they were like, all right, let us know if it gets any better. And they didn't want to do an internal because that risk of infection, because my water mm-hmm. had broken. Mm-hmm. So this went on for, I probably started feeling my stomach cramps at about 4am. And then this went on for a while to the point where my husband was like, you know, I've known you for a really long time. Like we've been together since we were 16. And he was like, I've never really seen you in this much discomfort before. Mm -hmm. So he went out and got the doctor. The doctor came in and was like, all right, I think we're going to check you. But first we'll just hook you up to the monitors and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. So it was shift change. A new nurse came in. The new nurse said, I'm just going to feel your belly while you're having a stomach cramp. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. So I was like, okay, I'm having one. She feels my belly. She's like, yeah, that's a contraction. You're in labor. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's fine, I guess. Mm -hmm. So then the doctor came in, checked me, did the internal check and Mm -hmm. I was fully dilated. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So, and one of the things I said to my husband while I was having my stomach cramps was that I was like, oh, this is what labor feels like. I really don't know if I can do this unmedicated because that was one of my goals. I wanted to have an unmedicated labor. Yeah, I don't know if I can do that without medicine. This is really painful. Mm -hmm. So I did ask, can I have something just to like take the edge off? And they, you know, said, yeah, sure. We'll go check for you. And of course it was too, it was too late by then. Yeah. Yeah. If you're 10 centimeters idle, especially with a preterm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, they wheeled me down to the delivery room mm-hmm. and he was born 10 minutes later. So oh, wow. uh, a few pushes and, and he was born. He was three pounds, eight ounces. Oh, that's actually pretty yeah. big for, for gosh, a 30 30 weeker. weaker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he was born at 31 and two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was pretty good for his gestation. Mm-hmm. You know, the NICU team came in and we did get to hold him pretty briefly before he had to go up to the NICU. Mm-hmm. But still, you know... That wasn't like the greatest thing. I wanted the whole like golden hour and all of course, that. Of course. Yeah, of course. Skin to skin and all that. So I did not get that, which I was upset about. But at the same time, you know, you have a NICU baby. They have to take care of that first. It's a different experience. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So they brought him up to the NICU and did all the stuff they had to do there. And he was in the NICU for 28 days. He did okay. really well there. He was on the CPAP machine to help him breathe. Like very briefly, they weaned him off that within the first 24 hours. Great. Yeah. And he just really had those typical creamy things like the apneas and Brady's where Mm -hmm. his heart rate would dip super low or he would stop breathing, which is really common in preemies because they're not supposed to be in the outside world breathing. Right, right. So sometimes they need reminders to breathe. Right. But other than that, he was what they call a feeder and grower. So he just had Mm -hmm. to sort of get bigger and learn how to eat on his own and all that sort of stuff. So 
he did really great in the NICU and he's been a really healthy, resilient little guy. So awesome. Awesome. So he went home, let's see, like he would have been 36 weeks or whatever. You said it was about a month, right? Yep. Yep. Um, So they told us to expect for him to be there until his due date. Yeah. And he came home, yeah, right around like 35-ish weeks, like right after. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And that's what they usually, guys, if you're listening and you're in this situation or, you know, you come to be in this situation, that is something that most NICUs will say is that just expect, you know, your baby to be here until their due date. So that means if you deliver a micro preemie and they're 24, 25 weeks, like that's a really, really long time. Or even if you deliver a baby at 34, 35 weeks, they still might be there, you know, closer to their due date. But a lot of times I do hear that, especially if they're born. And like you said, they're a feeder and a grower. There's not really anything else going on during labor. It was just you went into preterm labor and you had him, there was no risk of infection or, you know, anything else going on. Those type of babies, yes, they usually go home earlier than their due date, but it just, you know, all kind of depends on how they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. We sort of had the best case scenario, which we were yeah. really grateful for. That's great. That's yeah. great. So tell me, did you breastfeed Quinn? And how did that work? Did you pump? Did you, you know, how was that experience? You were there, he was there for 28 days. So you probably got discharged a few days after you delivered, right? And you didn't go home with your baby. Obviously you went home. So tell me how those 25 days were until you got to bring him home. Yeah. So I, at the very beginning, they have lactation come in right away. I always wanted to breastfeed. So they had me do a lot of hand compressions with a syringe mm-hmm. to get as much colostrum as I could for him. Yeah. And then every night while I was still in the hospital, I would like walk up to the NICU with my little syringe of colostrum. And <laughs> so I feel like so proud of myself. Yeah. 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 And you know, the NICU nurses were always like, this is awesome. This is so great. And yeah. it made me feel really good that I could do that for him. And then once my milk came in, I was pumping eight times a day even, you know, waking up through the night, like you would if you had a newborn baby and we rented like a hospital grade pump for home and they had pumps in the NICU. So I could either pump right at bedside or if there wasn't one available, they had like a pumping room for us. Yeah. Cool. So I pumped for those first like four weeks. I think some of the protocols have changed now, but at the time then when Quinn was in the NICU, they didn't want babies to eat by mouth until 34 weeks at the earliest. I think it just depends on the facility, but right. that is still something that most NICUs do. Yeah. I guess if they're showing like readiness signs, they can mm-hmm. let them sort of try to latch on a little bit earlier, but still they're so small that it's unlikely right. that they're going to even really stimulate a letdown. Right. Um, and sometimes I know they might've told you this too, is <laughs> the colostrum they want you to collect just so they can at first just kind of put it in their mouth so they kind of taste it and get used to it. Yep. They would do mouth care with Mm -hmm. some colostrum on a, like a swab and swab around his mouth and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. to do that for him. And then we were able to sort of start trying to actually get him to latch and breastfeed around. Like he was showing readiness signs a little before 34 weeks. So, but we waited until like 34 weeks to, to really early. That's really early. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was into it. <laughs> so, That's great. Yeah, so that was one of the 
criteria for him to go home was that he mm-hmm. had to be eating fully by mouth. And he also hated his, he had a NG tube, so a tube in his nose and he hated it. He ripped it out constantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, the nurses eventually were like, let's just give this a shot with, you know, full bottle feedings. And he tolerated them really well, luckily. Good. Yeah. So I do have to say that it was pretty painful at the beginning with him. I think mm-hmm. just because his mouth was so small. And then once he got a little bit bigger, it was less painful breastfeeding. So that was a little bit difficult once he was breastfeeding full time. But then we breastfed up until about 15 months when he Great. started walking and didn't want to sit with me and breastfeed anymore. Yep. So he weaned me and I was not really ready. I was wrestling with him for a little while. Like, come on, no, you really, I know you want to do this. And then eventually had to just be like, all right, well, I guess you're done. Yeah. That's a similar situation with my son. I was probably not quite ready to wean him, but he was just, I think he was 19 months, but same kind of thing. He was just not super interested in it anymore. And, you know, it would be, he would get on for a few minutes and then just get off. And so I finally was like, you know what, I think this is going to be the last day. And it was nice because I did have a last nursing session with him. It wasn't like I, you know, I didn't know when that was going to be. I kind of decided like, okay, you're not into this anymore. So we are going to stop. So that was nice for me. But yeah, it's tough. (laughs) It's tough when they wean kind of before you're ready. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's like, this is supposed to be our special thing. I know. I know. (laughs) I know. Brings up so many feelings. Yeah. Well, let's go into your next birth. And that probably wasn't Gosh, were you pregnant when you were weaning? No, I had a brief okay. intermission. A brief pause. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> not being pregnant and not breastfeeding. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, right after I stopped breastfeeding, we decided that we wanted to try for another baby. Uh-huh. So we got pregnant with Evie right away. Her pregnancy was a little bit more difficult for me just because I did sort of have that trauma history yeah. and a lot of anxiety around not knowing when she would be joining us. Right. Um, That's expected, I'm sure. Yeah. So with Quinn, they never figured out a reason why he came early. I have asked him, like hoping that he's going to say something like super (laughs) profound to me before. (laughs) He just tells me that he wanted to play with trucks, which makes complete sense. Yeah. (laughs) So cute. So that's all I've got as far as why he came came early. Okay. Well, that's a valid reason. Okay. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, totally. So Evie, uh, throughout my pregnancy with her, I had to get those cervical length measures Mm -hmm. uh, to check to make sure that didn't have an incompetent cervix. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. shortening or dilating or anything like that before it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. So I had those checks every two weeks from, I think, 16 weeks to like 24 weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's a transvaginal ultrasound, super fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every two weeks. That's but sarcasm, I mean, guys. Right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got really comfortable with the ultrasound tech. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and then I also, um, from 16 weeks to 36 weeks, had to get weekly progesterone shots. Yeah. Just because we had no idea why Quinn came early. So, just, yeah. you know, hit all of the things that we could possibly do to make sure that she stayed inside for my full term. Yeah. Precautionary Um, measures. (laughs) Yeah. So other than that, I mean, her pregnancy was super comfortable. My mom did my shots for me at home, which was great that I didn't have the hospital. Yep. She's an insurance agent. So that was (laughs) (laughs) interesting to say the least, but (laughs) very grateful that I didn't have to go into the hospital each week. Yeah. 
And yeah, other than that, the pregnancy was physically comfortable, definitely battled with a bit of like anxiety uh, as far as the whole preemie thing. And she joined us at 38 and six. So I was just about 39 weeks pregnant when she was born. Mm -hmm. So her story is like a little bit, it's so funny because her personality matches her, the manner in which she was born so Uh much. Um, She's a little fireball. So I serve on the parent and family advisory committee in the NICU. Mm -hmm. And we had monthly meetings where we would, you know, talk about the parents in the NICU and policies and procedures and all that. Yeah. Like how to make stuff better. What's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. So I had my meeting at the NICU one Wednesday night and it happened to be a late meeting that night. So I got home around like nine o'clock. So I got home, had a little snack, got up into bed. My husband says to me, you know, I'm so tired tonight. Like, can we just like, I'm hoping that like tonight's not the night. And I was like, okay, like we'll do the best I can. Like, you know, you don't say that because yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. when it happens. Yeah. So <laughs> I lie down in bed and literally like 10 seconds later, I have a huge like burst gush of <gasps> water breaking. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my water just broke. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. He's like, how do you know? I was like, you just... I know it happened. Like I'm completely (laughs) soaked right now. (laughs) So I ran into the bathroom. I just had this feeling that like everything was going to happen quickly. Just the force that, and and I'm sure this isn't correlated at all, but like it was like, I could hear a pop and it was like a huge gush of water. Like I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very common that I hear all the time people say that is like they literally hear and feel a pop sensation like it's a balloon I mean your bag of water is kind of a balloon inside of you but that's like it you know you feel that sensation yeah so I just had this feeling like this is gonna be happening quickly because when your water breaks you don't always have to like rush to the hospital right 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 yeah so I just was like we gotta go so this is at 10 p.m. I got myself changed. I put on a depends, which I would highly recommend to anyone whose your water has broken and you're on your way to the hospital. Yep. And we got my son and our dog in the car because my mom was going to take them. Our original plan was that we were going to drop him off at my mom's house, labor at her house for as long as possible because she was like five minutes from the hospital mm-hmm. and then go to the hospital. Well, everything, once we got into the car, started going so quickly that we had her just meet us at the hospital. Oh. Yeah. And take my son and my dog. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're like going down the highway. My contractions are like really ramping up. (laughs) My husband has like a lot of anxiety around like traffic and all that sort of stuff. So Mm -hmm. he was like starting to be like, I'm feeling like I'm going to be sick. And I was like, you can't be sick. Like I'm the one in labor right now. So Oh gosh. So we actually pulled over quickly because he like just had to just take a minute. And as soon as he pulled over the car, my contractions went from like zero to 60. Oh yeah. So by the time we got into the hospital, we had to wait for like registration and all that sort of stuff. And it it always takes forever, which I don't understand why. I I don't get it. Because you you send in your pre-registration paperwork. So like, shouldn't it be? Yeah. So it just took forever. Bam, bam, bam. You're you're pregnant. You're hurting. Okay. Let's go upstairs. I know. I, I totally remember that with my son. And you know what? It probably was like 
two minutes, but it felt like 20 that I was down there. And my husband, I remember my husband getting mad, like, Hey, my wife is like in a lot of pain and she's pregnant. Like, can we get going? And they're like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like taking their time. I'm like, but yeah, I know. I agree. (laughs) Like, why can't it just be like, okay, let's, you know, hi, bye. You know, (laughs) yeah. 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 That's exactly how it was with us. And I, of course was like insisted on walking myself the way up and didn't want to get wheelchair and all that sort of stuff. And same deal. Like I was in the hallway, like having contractions that were like sending me down onto my knees. And my husband's like, we need a room. And when I was in the hallway, I felt like I had to push. Like mm-hmm. I was feeling pushing sensations. Mm-hmm. He was like, we, this is not like, we got it. We need a room. So a nurse comes like stroll. It was also shift change. We happened to have babies at shift change. <laughs> it was shift change. And so there were a bunch of nurses like outside the desk, like clocking out and, you know, saying goodbye and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And another nurse comes like strolling down the hallway, like nice and calm. And I'm like, we're like, we need to get into triage. So they get me into triage. They go to hook me up to an ultrasound machine just to check the positioning of baby and stuff. Mm-hmm. They did a quick internal exam. I was fully dilated. They felt, of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was plus two, so oh head was like ready. Mm-hmm. And in my head, this is kind of funny at the time, which like I, with my education, like know all this stuff, like what plus two means. But in my head, when I was a laboring mom, <laughs> I thought I was like a super pregnant person, and I was twelve centimeters dilated, <laughs> which is like totally ridiculous. But you know, when you're in labor, just your mindset isn't. Right. <laughs> like completely there. It's not there. It's somewhere else. Totally yeah, somewhere else. Yeah. Exactly. But I think that actually helped me that I thought that I was super dilated. Sometimes get. it can. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it can. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't even bother doing the ultrasound because they could feel her head mm-hmm. and they wheeled me into the delivery room at 1110 and she was born at 1112. So oh. two and she was born. So her labor was just over an hour. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fast and furious. Yes, exactly. And that is very much her personality today. That's great. That's great. Wow. Well, those are quite some stories. So how was your experience with her? I mean, obviously it was vastly different than your son being in the NICU so long. In terms of breastfeeding and your postpartum experience, how was that different? And how was that in general with her? Yeah. The postpartum experience, I mean, it's great to take your baby home with you from the hospital. Right. That was wonderful. It was just so much easier. Just the sleeping and the eating and all that sort of stuff. Because when you have a preemie, you're sort of like in limbo. Mm -hmm. So when you have a full-term baby, they develop their sleeping habits a lot you know, developmentally when they're supposed to. Right. With a preemie, you're in this, I was in this like nine-week limbo of having that really super fun newborn sleep stuff for an extra nine weeks. For a long time. Yes. Yeah. And people often forget that, that it, yeah. it, that is something that happens. Guys, if you do have a preemie, yeah, expect that newborn phase to be a lot, lot longer. Yeah. So she, you know, developed better sleeping habits a lot faster than he did because she was full term. So that was a lot easier And then as far as like breastfeeding went, she was always a really good nurser. I did have some like pain with her as well, but it wasn't as bad as Quinn. So I always just wrote it off as like, oh, this is how this is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And then after when she was about 
13 months old, we did find out that she had a lip, a tongue and two cheek ties. Wow. Yeah. Which I am kicking myself that we didn't investigate that a little further along because she did have like some weird things. Like she was a little painful and she had some tongue clicking while she was nursing and she was always super gassy and spitty. So I do wish that we looked into that a little bit earlier, Mm -hmm. but... Did you have problems with your supply as a result of that? I did not. No. That's good. She was okay. Yeah. It wasn't like that terrible, but Yeah. yeah, it was just a little bit uncomfortable for quite some time. I'm sure. I mean, with all of that going on in her mouth. <laughs> I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But sometimes what happens, and this is what happened with my son too, he had a tongue tie, but we didn't get it resolved because he was able, I didn't have any pain while I was breastfeeding. So I was like, well, I mean, you know, why fix it if I'm not, you know, it's not right. really affecting anything. And that is common for people, you know, if they do find these issues, if they're able to breastfeed successfully and not have really any issues, there's, you know, unless you really want to fix it, you know, you don't have to get it fixed, but if you're having pain and there's clicking and there's, you know, other issues going on, then yeah, it's usually a good idea to intervene. But yeah. And she did have some things when she got older, like she couldn't really clear food off of a spoon and stuff. So that's when we really noticed that she had the ties. And then her other thing is that we found out at seven months old that she had a dairy and egg allergy. Mm. So I wanted to keep breastfeeding. I love breastfeeding my kids. So I had to cut out dairy and eggs out of my yeah completely. Yeah. And that was really hard for me. I, oh, I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I try to do no, I try to stay away from dairy as much as I can because I have stomach issues as a result, mm-hmm. but it's hard. Cheese is so good. Cheese <laughs> is so good. And eggs. I mean, I don't cut out eggs, but yeah, I mean, eggs are in everything. I feel like dairy is in everything. One, yeah. If it were one or the other, I think I would have been okay, but it was both. both. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was really hard. And, you know, I have worked on like food issues as I think many women can relate to for mm-hmm. like a good part of my life. I'm in this place where like, I feel really good having like no restrictions in my food and really enjoying the social aspects and actually eating food and all that sort of stuff. And so after I made all that progress with that sort of mindset and diet culture stuff, and then had this blow that, okay, now I have to cut out these two entire food groups. That was really, really hard for me. And it actually like made me feel after seven months of doing that, it made me feel like I didn't even want to like eat anymore because I, yeah, breakfast options were so limited. It was right around Christmas time. Like I love cookies. Like I couldn't eat cookies. It was just like, it doesn't, I know, I know. I totally get that. And that's very common guys. When you have to do these things, you know, for your babies, like cut out some sort of food group that you're in love with. Those aren't uncommon feelings that people feel where they, you know, almost go into a depression or they feel like, you know, they can't do other things in their lives. So yeah, totally, totally normal. I'm glad you brought that up actually. Yeah. That is very, very common. Yeah. It's really hard. And I think that's okay to feel like these things are hard. And yes, we're doing these things for our babies, but also like your mental health matters as well. And so she got to be, I think she was 13 or 14 months when I said, okay, we made it to a year Mm -hmm. like for my own happiness and in turn my family's happiness. Like I'm going to stop nursing now. Yeah. And I made myself a egg sandwich with a big old slice of cheddar cheese and it was the best thing I've ever eaten. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I did want to ask you too. I know a lot of people experience this because I have a friend who has no dairy and she did no dairy because of her child as well. And she tried to introduce dairy again after she was 
done, you know, breastfeeding and she could only eat certain things. Like she started to get stomach issues as a result. So I wanted to ask you for staying away from dairy for so long. Did you have any dairy sensitivities afterwards? I didn't have too much. I mean, my stomach didn't feel like super great, but it wasn't anything drastic. I did get some like breakouts, like just like acne flare ups and that sort of thing. But other than that, I mean, I introduced it kind of slowly. Good. Yeah. Um, But other than that, I was lucky. I didn't really have too much going on once I reintroduced dairy. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. This was so wonderful. Two awesome birth stories. Can you just quickly remind listeners, I guess we didn't even really talk about it at the beginning, but can you tell listeners, I know you are in this social space as I am, where they can find you if they want to start following you? Yeah. So I'm mostly active on Instagram and my handles at Kara, K-A-R-A dot coffin, C-O-F-F-I-N. Mm-hmm. And I share a lot of information about exercise and fitness during pregnancy and postpartum, helping you with feeling confident and unafraid and in your movement during those chapters. Because I think that there's not enough information out there on you know how to keep doing the things that you love confidently and safely for you and for baby. And I do one-on-one coaching and then also have some online memberships for moms that they can look into. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much again for being here today. Thank you for having me. This has been great. All right. So that is it for this episode of the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast. You probably follow me on Instagram because that's probably where you came from. But if you don't, head over to Instagram and follow me at mommy.labornurse for more. That is certainly where I am most active. I also now have a separate Instagram for just this podcast. So I encourage you to follow my second account at mommylabornurse.podcast as well if you want podcast updates. Again, that is at mommylabornurse.podcast. As always, you guys know that I also have a website where I have tons of articles all about pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, newborn stuff, and more at www.mommylabornurse.com. I want to hear more from you on how much you love this episode of the podcast or how you think I can improve. So leave me a comment on one of my pictures, send me a DM, or send me an email with all the love. All right, guys, I will see you same time, same place next week.